Welcome to the Core Women Podcast. My name is Dr. Summer Watson. I'm a doctor of psychology, podcaster, published author, coach, producer of documentary empowerment films, and empowerment seminars. This podcast is a special place for the hearts and souls of women. It is a place where women share their journeys, strength, resiliency, strategy, and passions. Today on the show, I would like to welcome Sandra Stowes, retired U.S. Coast Guard Vice Admiral, graduate of the Coast Guard Academy, author. She holds two master's degrees, recipient of two Coast Guard Distinguished Service Medals, three Legion of Merit Medals, and four Meritorious Service Medals. In 2012, Newsweek's The Daily Beast named her one of the 150 women who shake the world. Following retirement from the Coast Guard, Sandra established her business, Sandra L. Stowes, LLC, focused on leadership and leader development. She is also the author of Breaking Ice and Breaking Glass, Leading in Uncharted Waters. We have so much to talk about. Let's get right into this and welcome. Thank you very much. I really appreciate being on the show, Summer, and I'm honored to be here. Oh, thank you so much. So before we jump right into your professional background, because it is an amazing background, can you give us a bit of a glimpse into your upbringing, where you grew up, how you developed your passion for the Coast Guard, and truly being a model of leadership? Thank you for that question. I think it's important to start with your beginnings. And so often people jump right into where they are in their career, the executive level, and you are where you came from. So I started out my life uh, as one of four children, the oldest. I was uh, the only girl of three with three brothers. We we're all pretty close in age. And to no great surprise, I guess with that, I was a tomboy, born and raised in Ellicott City, Maryland. And my parents um, treated, so I was born in 1960. So just to give a time frame, uh, my parents treated all of us kids the same. Um, they didn't treat me differently because I was a girl. And that mattered because I was raised uh, with the expectation that we were all going to be successful and go off and, and make something of ourselves. And uh, we, we hiked, we um, did sports. I, most of my brothers, um, it was mostly boys around the house as a kid. So I um, ran with the boys and I had, of course, girlfriends too, but with three brothers, the house was filled with boys. So I think that really matters because I learned um, that it, was more important what you did than who you, what you look like. So the fact that I was a, a girl instead of a boy, I think it mattered the shared interests. We all wanted to be outside. We were raised with good values. So my parents taught us humility, hard work, perseverance, and honesty. So, and those values stayed with me my whole career. So they were instilled early and stayed with me and they served me well uh, as I had to go back time and again to my personal core values. When I was younger, I swam on the swim team. I was involved in athletics. When I went to high school, I think another important piece of the story is that in 1972, Title IX was put in place, which was the legislation that gave equal rights and education to women. And then in 1973, we had the Equal Rights Amendment. So what you had was in 1974, I started high school. So I came into high school as a young woman able to do sports because the Title IX legislation. So the societal changes that enabled me the access to be able to do what my mother and grandmother hadn't been able to do were very important in shaping my success. So it wasn't all about me and my core values. It was what, what about the society, what is it doing? How's it changing to provide access to 
otherwise um, um, shut out people like uh, women had been from the military. Um, oh, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself from <laughs> high school sports. But in um, 1976, when I was a junior in high school, this whole um, um, opening to women continued and the service academies were open to women um, as a result of the National Defense Authorization Act in 1975. So all those service academies, that's um, Army, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard and Kings Point Merchant Marine were all open to women. And I was a junior in high school living in Maryland and the Baltimore Sun did an um, article on the Naval Academy, which was right there in Annapolis. And a neighbor brought that article over to me and said, Sandy, I know you're a tomboy, so you might like this. And I said, yes, this is a chance. I kind of like the idea of um, not being told I couldn't do something. I was kind of stubborn being raised. And so the fact that I could all, all of a sudden do something that hadn't been um, allowed, I'm like, I wanna take advantage of that. It's an opportunity being dropped on me and I'd never thought of the military. No one in my, my family had ever served, but I applied to the Naval Academy. It took the congressional nomination process. My guidance counselor, somebody looking out for me um, said, Sandy, you should cast a wider net. And he said, look, I've got this um, brochure from a Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut. And we studied it between the two of us. We decided it was a small Navy, which of course is not right, but <laughs> I applied there nonetheless. And because the Coast Guard comes under a slightly different title of the law, they're a direct admissions program instead of a congressional nominations program for coming in. So I heard back right away that I was accepted to the Coast Guard Academy. And I, I, turned my uh, application back in, my, my letter, I sent my money in and I never looked back. I am so mm -hmm. thankful I joined the Coast Guard and going to that, continuing that story of the access just for 30 more seconds, when the Coast Guard accepted women at the academy, the commandant, the service chief said, hey, if we're gonna bring women in, we're gonna do it right. They're gonna be able to serve on any unit as long as there's birthing and that wasn't always the case but um, I was not precluded from serving on Coast Guard styled ships that were very similar to a Navy combatant. So 370 foot, 78 foot Coast Guard cutters that were small frigates with weapon systems. I was serving on those in the 1970s while my peers at the other academies were excluded by the combat exclusion laws. I never had that. So I was accepted, women were accepted at the Coast Guard Academy and in the Coast Guard, I believe much more easily because we were allowed to do any job that a man could do. So we didn't have that, whatever you might call it, resentment or questioning of whether you could do something. So I'll leave it at that for my childhood story coming up to when I entered the service. Oh, fantastic. Wow. That is an incredible story. And I love that you touch on values because values are so critical when you're really trying to find out what your launching point is. And when you use those values and you align with those values in regards to who you pair with as in a relationship, your job, what you're looking at as a career is so critical. So let's jump into your professional background. You have touched on that a bit, but let's jump more deeply into that. Sure. Now, um, I am a little bit concerned that my professional career spanning 40 years could take 40 minutes easily. <laughs> <laughs> oh, easily. It can take a couple of days, quite frankly, but let's, let's give a, a quick overview of your career in, in the Coast Guard and, and then we'll get to what you're doing today. Absolutely. And I'll, con I'll condense it to one of those little links that you put on LinkedIn or something. So it's 
<laughs> so I went to the Coast Guard Academy and entered in 1978 with a third class of women. So one of the first women to come through, when I went, there were only 5% women at the entire academy. And so we were definitely in the minority. Um, when I graduated four years later and um, went to my first ship, it was an icebreaker. So I started out on polar icebreakers, big ships, three or 400 feet long, because I was on two of them, Glacier, and then uh, following that, the Polar Star. And on both of those ships, I sailed to Antarctica to do um, scientific missions down there in Antarctica, the South Pole, to do science missions uh, with National Science Foundation and to support the Navy's missions down there in Antarctica. So that were that was three years of just an amazing adventure for a young woman to come out of her college time, which was the Coast Guard Academy, and go on such an adventure. And that's what I'd hoped for when I joined the Coast Guard is some of the adventure, something more than going to a, a regular college and going to work in some field. So um, from that icebreaking experience, uh, I went on to another ship and spent uh, three years uh, as a um, operations officer in law enforcement off the coast of Northern California. And I went um, after those six years at sea, my path took me back to headquarters and I was fortunate enough to be the military aide to the Secretary of Transportation, which was the service secretary for the Coast Guard at the time. Since then, the Coast Guard uh, has moved into the Department of Homeland Security that happened after 9-11. But in the day, I was the Secretary of Transportation's military aide and had a privilege of seeing um, the government from the top down and serving Mr. Sam Skinner in that role. And from there, I went uh, to command a ship. My first command, I was a lieutenant, which is an 03 in the military. And this command was a small icebreaker, keeping in that theme of breaking ice mm -hmm. up on Lake Superior uh, <laughs> in Sioux St. Marie, Michigan. Wow. So it might not become as any surprise that all that's up there is icebreakers because it's so cold. And our duties were to escort the iron ore carriers from the um, iron range, the Misabi range in uh, Wisconsin, all the way down to like the factories in Indiana. So it was very, very interesting work. Right. And I was the first woman ever to command an icebreaker on the Great Lakes. And I could never outrun this first. I didn't want to be the first. I just wanted to be another Coast Guard person. I didn't want to be a Coast Guard woman, a Coast Guard first woman. But I couldn't outrun it. And then I came to embrace it. So okay. I, I, I was going to say. <laughs> I came to embrace being the first and to leverage it to tell the story of how much opportunity the Coast Guard had offered me and the opportunity that was there for women who were willing to work hard and um, go out there and to go and do something hard, get out of your comfort zone. So I did the two years in that command. I was selected for graduate school at the um, Northwestern University's Kellogg Business School. From there, I did a payback tour going back to Coast Guard headquarters. I served in a program office, went back to sea as executive officer on a bigger ship, back to headquarters. From there, back to sea as the commanding officer of a bigger ship. So in the military, in the Coast Guard at least, you do um, your specialty, which is my specialty was going to sea and driving ships. Um, we would rotate with ashore assignments. So two years at sea and two or three years ashore. So wow. I commanded that ship and, and it was right after 9-11. So we had, Ooh. and it was up in Kittery, Maine. So we were doing a lot of um, 
Homeland Security patrols off of New York Harbor. <laughs> right. So it was really an intense period of time for our nation and for those of us serving at that time. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. And in there, I went to another um, master's degree at the National War College, uh, got a master's in national security strategy. And from there, went to uh, Coast Guard headquarters to lead the officer assignments uh, branch in our personnel command. And uh, went from there to a shore command, uh, commanding our boot camp. So the Coast Guard's boot camp is in Cape May, New Jersey. Hmm. And okay. that is where we assess all of our enlisted personnel. So oh, I had such a privilege to be able to, to um, oversee and, and run that, that uh, critical mission of bringing the next generation of young enlisted people in. And I had um, um, another um, shore assignment after that, that was back in headquarters. I made Admiral there. I was very blessed because only 1% of people who come into the Coast Guard as officers make Admiral. So I was privileged, blessed, honored, all those words because no one ever expects that to happen. When I did um, achieve that level of the senior executive rank in the Coast Guard, I was sent to be the superintendent of the Coast Guard Academy, which is the equivalent of president. And that's where I attended wow. got my college degree. So I came back yes. 33 years later to be the first um, woman ever to command any service academy, including West Point, Air Force, Annapolis, Kings Point. So I was really, it was um, just a moment for me because I had never expected that. Right. And to be able to come back and not only have led young enlisted people um, at the boot camp, but to now be able to lead the officer corps coming in through officer candidate school and the Coast Guard Academy there in New London, Connecticut, I was just um, overwhelmed with um, gratitude and thankfulness of all the Coast Guard had given me, which uh, kind of created me in me an, uh, an, an urge, a strong urge to give back, to give back um, leadership lessons learned during those 40 years, which is why I wrote the book. But my career basically ended after that Coast Guard Academy tour. I was brought back to DC to be a three-star Admiral, a Vice Admiral, and I served three years back there as the chief of um, our mission support organization, which is about half the Coast Guard. Um, and that was just a, a culmination of all that I'd learned in my career when I was serving ashore, all those jobs I'd had have been in the mission support area. So it was a great way to finish up. And I finished up in 2018, 40 okay. years after I entered. <laughs> wow, so really not that long ago. No. Not that long ago. What an incredible, professional history. That is just incredible. Thank you for sharing that. You were breaking boundaries all over the place. And I loved hearing that. I mean, as you were telling your story, I was like, oh, I'm getting the chills. This is so cool. <laughs> Listen to all that she's done. And you know, it really starts with, I truly believe with that whole foundation of your values. And really, as you well know, there are quite a few more men in the service overall. And there's quite a few more men in the Coast Guard than women, where there's about 15% of the Coast Guard's active duty are women. And then 85% of those active duty, um, give or take, are men. So for that reason, did you ever encounter any challenges and how did you overcome those challenges? Well, thank you for asking that question because even though my 40 years were filled with so much um, joy and uh, satisfaction in being able to serve, 
both my nation and the people who I led, there were some hard times. <laughs> there were really some hard times and um, things have changed a lot, but everyone faces their challenges and mine, because I'm a little older, um, might not be there for some of the current generation, but I had one um, especially challenging moment when I was uh, assigned to that small icebreaker up in Lake Superior in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. And the first woman ever to serve up there in a command position at sea. And um, I had come up there very excited to get back to sea to command a ship, very eager. And I was naive, I was young and naive in my late 20s. I saw the best in everything and everybody, which is a positive way to live, <laughs> but it can be um, challenging when you get slammed down. So my boss was a really old um, Coast Guard captain. So very senior, I was only a Lieutenant, which is an 03 and a junior officer. He was an 06 and a senior officer. And he was in charge of the entire shore facility and all the ships that were assigned to it. So he took one look at me and I've been coming to that unit from my job as aide to the service secretary. And he said, well, you're just the secretary's fair haired golden girl. We'll see how long you last here. <laughs> okay. So that was my welcome <laughs> aboard from the new commanding officer, from the commanding officer of, who was in charge of me. <laughs> and um, the good thing was though, so I wanna make this point very clearly in my 40 years, it was usually a person here or there. And believe me, they were both genders. I had women probably more vitriolically um, discriminating against me than the men ever did because they kind of did it with intent. The men mm -hmm. kind of did it because they were just ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a really, I think that's a really good point <laughs> is that there might have been that ignorance and then there was intention. Yes. And yeah. And we see it out in the world as we just function in, in general as well. And that's part of my story for Core Wound. But anyhow, that's for another day. But please go on. Yeah, so to finish this story, and I know I'm keeping my stories compact, the um, crew of my ship, which was probably 16, 17 people, they overall supported me. Um, and, and other ship board commanding officers in the area, there was a couple other ships of my same size there. I had a lot of support. So um, support came from an unusual corner one day, uh, which I didn't know at the time, but all of a sudden my captain backed off me and stopped kind of clicking on me, if you want to call it that. And I was, I was at my wits end because I was new. I was trying to do a good job. It was a hard job. And I felt like my whole career was in the fate of this man. If he hated me that much, and didn't believe in me, he wasn't going to give me a good fitness report to advance. So I was gonna quit. I had my resignation letter written. And then all of a sudden it, it stopped. And months or years later, I don't know which, I found out that my chief bosun mate, who's an enlisted person, a chief petty officer in 07, he had gone up to that captain one day and asked to enter and close the door behind him and said, Captain, you've got to back off our commanding officer. She's doing a good job and she needs our support in this causing conflict in the crew that they can see that you're always on her back. And yet she's got our backs. So he said, you need to back off. And he, he risked his career as a junior person going up there to talk, straight talk to the captain. Right. The captain had been a prior enlisted guy. And I don't want to go into all that in the Coast Guard, but all the services have a way to come up through the ranks from enlisted to officer. He had done that. So he respected this chief petty officer. And he said, well, I'll back off her. 
And so I got through it, but it was because other people supported me. So I was mentored by somebody junior to me who looked and reached out their hand in a way that was invisible to me to support me when I needed it most. And I think that's important that we need to be looking for those people who can support us when we come through our own version of the hard times, um, leading in uncharted waters, like I say in my book, but look for somebody who can support you. And then if you're a leader, be on the lookout for somebody you can support. So that's how I got through those tough times in my career. I started to look up for support or down or across and other people supported me even when I wasn't asking for it. So it goes both ways. Your success is um, dependent upon how you react to a situation and dependent upon how others help you to navigate those uncharted waters. Well, I love that you just said how people react because we have a choice as to how we are going to respond or react to a given situation. And I think reaction is very different than how we respond. And that is a model for others. And so I think because you are modeling leadership for others and they saw that and you were nurturing those relationships that somebody stepped in and intervened on your behalf, which is awesome. So what guidance would you give to leadership today? coming up through the ranks? So leadership today, I have a lot of guidance I could give, but I've got a few things over time that I've kind of put together as little lessons. So I'll give a very brief version of this for senior people or anybody who's a leader, because you can lead at all levels. Mm -hmm. Um, A leader should do four things that start with L. First, they should listen. And I know as a coach, you know the value of listening. And mm-hmm. it's times when you're listening that the silence is uncomfortable. And how many times have we been in conversations and meetings where there is no silence because people are sitting there and instead of listening, they're formulating their own response. The minute somebody looks like their lips are stopping their sentence, they jump in because <laughs> they want to say what they've got to say. So the value of listening And then the second part of that four L's is look, look around um, when you're in a job. That means get out of your office and go walk around and visit your employees. Now, this can be really hard in a virtual world and I haven't really thought it through, but I spent my career on ships and in offices. And if you isolate yourself in an office, you're not gonna know what's going on. And that's something people who are Zooming all the time now and other kinds of visual, virtual um, um, work are going to have to really tackle. So I'd get out and look around my workspaces. I would meet people where they were. I would be able to catch them doing something right. And I'll give you an example of that real quick. So when I was captain of that little 140 foot icebreaker on Lake Superior, I was brand new. And uh, I spent um, a night late there in my first week or two, and I walked around the ship and uh, went down to the end room. And there was only like two people on board the ship after hours. They're the watch standers. So this young junior fireman who was like an E2 was down there on the deck plates of the engine room cleaning something. He was sitting on the deck plates cleaning a piece of machinery. (laughs) And so I was walking by. I almost got ready to walk by him just making my rounds. And then I thought, no, I'm going to squat down here and ask him, what are you doing, Fireman Smith? And he says, oh, ma'am, you don't, it's nothing important. Just cleaning this oil filter. And I said, well, show me. 
he, he perked up a little and I, and I, he showed me a little bit about, it. I says, you know what, if you weren't cleaning that oil filter, that ship wouldn't be getting underway. We wouldn't be doing our mission. And I, I went home and didn't think anything of it. I came back the next day and on my door, I hear a, it's my engineer officer. He's like, well, I guess you don't need me. You've got fireman Smith telling you everything about the ship. And so fireman Smith had gotten up um, that next morning and been bragging on the net mess deck about how, the captain said that his job was the most important one on the ship because <laughs> he was cleaning oh, no. the oil filter. News <laughs> so, oh, no. is I empowered Fireman Smith, whose name has been changed, by the way, <laughs> just because I can't remember it all those years back. And the good news is that I empowered Fireman Smith. The bad news is I didn't tell his boss anything about my act of empowerment. And um, I was going on the one minute manager uh, book by Kenneth Blanchard all those years ago, catch yep. your people doing something right. And I thought I succeeded. I caught people doing something right, but I didn't tell my EO who then was thinking that I was going around behind his back and asking his subordinates, all the questions I needed. And I'm like, no EO, I just was trying to empower people and be that kind of a good leader. And he says, yeah, but you left me out. So that's an important lesson. So listen and look. And then what you do is you learn from all that and you have to learn. You can't just do the listen, do the look, and then it goes nowhere. You've got to learn. I'll leave that at that because that could be a whole nother lecture. But then after that, listen, look, learn, and lead. Only then can you lead. I think if you haven't done those three things, you're never going to be able to build the trust and earn the respect. So listen, look, and learn means that you're building trust and earning respect with your people and you will be the leader they want to follow if you do that. Oh, those are fabulous nuggets. And yes, each one of those can be, and I'm sure it will be, a course because they're so important. I mean, reflective listening is critical to understanding what's going on around you and really understanding what it means to listen. What is reflective listening? That's another course. So thank you for that. Uh, I really appreciate that. Now, being a military spouse for 21 plus years, how did you go about supporting military families? Very good question, because our military families are as important as our military members. And I know that for a lot of reasons, but partly because my spouse, my husband is prior Coast Guard, and he um, retired after 27 years and then followed me around. So um, he followed me around for 13 years or so as the, the male spouse. So he was the first male spouse ever anywhere that we went to. So it wasn't just me breaking ground. My poor husband got dragged into it. So when I first took over the recruit training center, the boot camp in Cape May, <laughs> um, we were brand new. I was the commanding officer and my husband was my spouse and, um, and he was a prior mechanic. So he was a, you know, mechanic guy, a macho guy and everything. And so the executive officer of my new command sees the two of us walking along to an event that was designed to welcome me. And, um, he salutes me and he says to my husband, welcome aboard, ma'am. <laughs> and this is to my husband. <laughs> Oh, and my <laughs> husband's like, call me anything, but don't call me ma'am. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but, but it was so instinctive that the spouses are women. Yes. So 
anyway, my husband helped me to understand the value of a spouse because he also, aside from showing me how hard it is for spouses to be attached to their spouse, to their principal yes. in a subordinate way, um, he taught me how valuable a spouse can be to help you. So he gave me all kinds of advice um, that, that I needed as the principal. And, and he was behind the scenes, um, really my rock. And that happens to everybody in the Coast Guard who's, who's got a good spouse behind them and, and good families, whatever that family unit looks like. So yeah. I, learned, um, I learned many ways how important spouses were. We, we included them um, in my commands where I served as commanding officer. We valued them as much as we did the members. And, uh, and I will say that what I learned from the spouses is that they did just want to be acknowledged and valued for who they were as individuals, as opposed to just being an attachment of their spouse who was the active duty member. Right. And I love that because as a military spouse for 21 years and having followed my husband around the country as well as lived out of the country in Okinawa, Japan for three years. And during that time, he went to war for one of those years and I was there in Okinawa and he was at war. I felt like I was pulling duty. And before we ever went to Okinawa, I was finishing my doctorate and I had a whole life and a whole idea of where I would be and going up the ranks myself. And that just didn't happen. So many times spouses do put aside their own goals because they do want to support their family. They do want to support the functioning of that service member because when the service member is not doing well, that also means that they're taking that into their job. And so we want to be good ambassadors. We want to be great in regards to supporting that, that military member, which is our spouse. And yet we're still putting potentially some of our own goals aside because of the support of our nation, the support of our spouse, the support of, so it's incredible what spouses do and what families do kids, you know? So, oh my goodness. And just knowing the history of how we were perceived from way back when in civil war days, spouses being on the field with their military members just to feed them without getting any subsidies or anything. It's interesting that history and knowing that history. So, and where we've come, where we are now. So I'm glad um, to hear that you were in support of the military family and, and thank you for that. So you've done so much in regards to defining leadership and modeling leadership. And now you have retired from the Coast Guard. Tell the listeners a little bit about your company. Oh, well, I run Sandra Elstow's LLC, but Really, the business of that company right now is my book. So I've got this forthcoming book that's going to be out on June 1st called Leading, excuse me, called Breaking (laughs) Breaking Glass, Leading in Uncharted Waters, as you mentioned earlier. I also started a blog to accompany that book. It's called Leading with Character. And that blog is going to be published every week by Homeland Security Today. It's a trade publication. So I'm excited about that partnership. Yes, And I am a member of six different volunteer boards and advisory councils. So my goal uh, in retirement from the Coast Guard is giving back. And I'm not working for pay anywhere. The proceeds from my book will all be donated to the Coast Guard Academy Institute for Leadership. And that's where I learned my leadership as a young cadet. So I 
and looking at ways I can volunteer and give back. As I said earlier, it became a burning passion to give back because I feel like the Coast Guard instilled in me those core values, um, not just my childhood core values that were affirmed in the Coast Guard, but the Coast Guard has rock solid core values of honor, respect, and devotion to duty. And um, they gave me so much in 40 years and the least I can do is give back. So I do that today. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for all that you're doing in community. And I can't wait for Breaking Ice and Breaking Glass leading in Uncharted Waters to come out soon. And it should be out for pre-order when? It should be pre-order at end of March, 1st of April. Okay. Well, my last question is, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? Words of wisdom, to me, that means something short and sweet. So I'm going to say something that served me well from childhood all the way up through my 40 years in the Coast Guard was hard work plus perseverance equals success. And it's not that easy. Those are three words and it looks simple. There's a lot of meat in hard work plus perseverance to equal success. But anyone who wants to succeed needs to start there. The hard work is critical and there is a whole movement that you might think about here and there in society that hard work is overrated, that we should be able to get where we're gonna go just because we know somebody. (laughs) Hard work, I don't think that'll ever go away. And the perseverance is key because I saw so many people over the course of my career sprint out to work hard, um, but they gave up at the first sign of um, obstruction. Like I would say, um, navigating in uncharted waters, the first iceberg they came to, they just gave up and looked for a new course and they start all over again with something new and they do that for, for too long and they lose focus. So persevering through the obstacles, looking for the challenges in the adversity and just taking that whole journey of life one day at a time, one week at a time, that's perseverance. And that's the only way you're gonna ultimately succeed is the combination of hard work plus perseverance. Oh, thank you for that, Sandra. And thank you for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you, Summer. It's been my privilege. Absolutely. If you would like to connect with Sandra Stowes, you can reach her at sandrastowes.com. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women And please stay tuned for continued growth of the core women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.